Well, thank you for being with us tonight, and I invite you to open your Bibles to the 19th chapter of Genesis. If you are a guest, we are studying the life of Abraham on Wednesday nights, and it's the Lord's good pleasure that we should study tonight the story of Lot and his family on the same night that we dedicated all these precious babies. God worked that out because I wasn't smart enough when I planned this series to plan this sermon for this particular night, but God uh, was... And I think it is appropriate. I mean, you couldn't help but be impressed as you saw all these little babies up here. In fact, I thought to myself we should rename our church the Fertile Valley Church of Christ. And we'll uh, <laughs> see if we can get that on the sign by next Sunday. But one thing I will say to all of you young parents, and most of you here can nod your head when I say this, you don't ever stop being a parent. It doesn't stop. You think, well, maybe when they're 18 or at least when they get out of college, it stops. No, it, it just never stops. You never stop being a mom or a dad. So some of you who are older can relate then to the lady who sent this letter to a college president some years ago. Dear sir, my son has been accepted for admission to your college and soon he will be leaving me. And I'm writing to ask that you give your personal attention to the selection of his roommate. I want to be sure that his roommate is not the kind of person who uses foul language or tells off-colored jokes, smokes, drinks, Or chases after girls. I hope you will understand why I am appealing to you directly. You see, this is the first time my son will be away from home. Except for his three years in the Marines. (laughs) One of the struggles that we parents have is teaching our kids appropriate relationships and boundaries in those relationships. We want to teach our kids... To value relationships. That people are more important than things. So we hope they will determine to value relationships. The other side of that is that relationships often determine values. The people that you think are important profoundly impact the values that you think are important. So choose wisely. Most of you are familiar with the scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And the Bible says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And this truth is illustrated powerfully in the Bible in the account of the family of Abraham's nephew, Lot. And so I'm about to read the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, it's a long chapter This is a long reading, but I promise you will not fall asleep. Because what I'm about to read sounds like an R-rated movie. And so if you have small children with you, you might want to put your hands over their ears for the next couple of minutes. Here we go. You remember that these two angels and the Lord have come and met with Abraham. They've announced a new beginning, the birth of Isaac. But they've also announced an ending, the Sodom and Gomorrah story. So, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the crowd. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. Notice how quickly he knows that's a bad idea. He insisted so strongly that they did go with him. 
and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. And before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. It, it just gets worse. This is embarrassing to read this stuff. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge? We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moving forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who were here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated. Can you believe that word? The men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes. And you've shown great kindness to me and spared my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to and it's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well. I'll grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I can't do anything until you reach it. And that's why the town is called Zoar. And by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. And then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation of the land. But Lot's wife looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. And he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Now, you think it can't get much worse, but it can. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. 
One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there's no man around here to lie with us as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up, which is a nice way of saying he was so drunk he didn't even know he had had sex with his daughter. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also. And the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son. And she named him Benamin. He's the father of the Ammonites of today. People tell me, well, I don't read the Bible much. It's too boring. Are you kidding me? All you said by that statement is you haven't been reading the Bible. You've just been saying you have. I want to ask a lot of questions in this story. Three that really stand out. Here's the first. Why did he move to Sodom? Did that move make a lot of sense? He came with Abraham from the land of Ur into this new land. And Abraham had lived this entire time, all these years, in tents. Why did Lot trade in his tent for a condo in the city? Do you remember back in chapter 13 that Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen were quarreling over pasture land? And so Abram said, there's a lot of land here. You choose what you want for yourself. Go back and look at that text with me, verse 10 and 11. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. Now this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east, and the two men parted company. Notice it said two things about this land he chose. One, it was like the garden of the Lord, which in the Bible symbolizes divine fellowship. But also it was like Egypt. Which symbolizes prosperity and wealth. You remember in the chapter before, Abram had gone down to Egypt. And when he came back out of Egypt, he was loaded down with treasure from Pharaoh. And Lot got a taste of the good life in Egypt. And he liked it. And he thought to himself, why can't you have both? The garden of the Lord, land of Egypt. Why can't you have Increased material wealth without sacrificing your spiritual health. And I can have it there. Now, he knew the reputation of those two cities. So initially, he only planned to live near them. It says he pitched his tent outside those cities. But soon, however, the wickedness of the city was overruled by the profitableness of living in the city. So by the time you get to chapter 14, he got rid of the tent, he bought a condo, and he and the family moved into town. In fact, Lot apparently became a leading figure in the town because you notice it says when the angels came to Sodom, he was at the gate. Now, in ancient times, the elders of a city sat at the gate. Their job was to welcome visitors, to investigate why they wanted to come into their city, if their motives were good, and then to uh, be official and judge over domestic quarrels and disputes in a city. So Lot at the gate tells you he's an important person in Sodom, which makes total sense because you remember 
When those kings cooked off Sodom and Gomorrah as captives, Abraham rescued the Sodomites. And they're smart and they know that Lot is related to this powerful warrior that lives up there in the tent. So there's no question they wanted to make sure that Lot felt very welcome in Sodom. They liked having somebody related to Abraham in their city. And he had a place of prominence. And so Lot appears to be your ultimate success story. Immigrant boy, foreign kid, comes to a new land and makes it to the top in the big city. But did he really make it? Was he actually more successful than Abraham? One of the ironies of this whole episode is that Lot was motivated by, to gain material wealth. And yet Abraham dies as one of the wealthiest men in the Bible. And Lot dies with nothing. You see, Lot failed to see Abraham's prosperity was not the result of his residence. It was the result of his obedience. It wasn't where he lived. It was who he lived for that made Abraham a success. Abraham didn't need the approval of the wicked to get ahead, but Lot thought he did. And I'm sure Lot rationalized it by thinking, well, you know, I could, I could do a lot of good in that city. Think of how I could be a voice for righteousness in that place. Which then leads to the next question. How much influence did Lot wind up having in Sodom? Well, it depends on what kind you mean. Apparently, he had some political influence. But his spiritual impact was negligible. His one-man crusade never brought revival. And it never brought peace of mind. Lot may have become a rich man in Sodom. But he was never happy. Peter has this interesting commentary on Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2. Talks about this very story that we read that God rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Three times he's called a righteous man. I'll talk more about that in a second. But the point here is. Lot had tasted enough of the higher things in his years with Abraham that he never could get comfortable in the company of the sordid and the lewd. But he was never able to entice his neighbors to sample the higher things of God with him. They were willing to have Lot among them because he was connected to a powerful man and he was a man of means. But they never respected him. In fact, when Lot had strangers in his home, they were not even respecting the privacy of his home. And in that culture, to invade and to corrupt someone's hospitality was one of the greatest insults you could bring. Lot even lost the power of moral persuasion among those pledged to join his own family. He could not get his future sons-in-law to listen and take him seriously when he talked about God. Years of focus on the material had made his sudden interest in the spiritual seem like a joke to them. 
You know, I, I'm reminded of a story I heard about a young evangelist who found an Amish man one day and asked him if he knew Christ as Lord and Savior, and if he was saved. And the Amish man had an interesting answer. He said, why do you ask me if I'm saved? I can say anything I want. He said, here are the names of my banker and my grocer and my farmhands. Go ask them if I'm saved or not. The people that you live with and work among every day are the best indicators of what kind of impact your walk with God is having. You see, apparently, Lot's walk with God had primarily been one of just drafting on Abraham. You know what I mean? You just get behind somebody who's blazing the trail and you just kind of draft behind them. There's really no account I'm aware of in the Bible of Lot ever doing one truly righteous thing on his own. How much influence did Lot have on Sodom? Well, to see the result of his influence, you'll have to go to the bottom of the Dead Sea and examine the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. A more important question for us tonight, though, how much influence did Sodom have on Lot and on his family? See, nothing Lot gained was worth what it cost his family. It changed his wife. The allure of the world was so deeply embedded in her heart, she could not imagine a future without it. See, I don't think she was turned into salt because she happened to catch a glimpse of all the fire and the smoke. That word she looked is the word that's used of David when he sees Bathsheba taking a bath and he won't turn his eyes. It's the word of Eve when she saw that the fruit was good and she wanted it. It's not saying that she just happened to turn around and see a bunch of smoke. It's saying even as angels are taking her away, she's going, I want to go back there. I don't want to be with you. I don't want a future without Sodom. And she became a perpetual example of the danger of fatal attractions. Even Jesus said in Luke 17, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. And then there were his daughters. You get a hint of where their hearts are when they become engaged to men of Sodom in the first place. You say, what choice did they have? Well, now remember, Abraham was determined, we'll read later, that Isaac not marry a lady of the land. He sent his servant all the way back to the hometown to get a wife. And there's just no way to describe their actions to become pregnant as anything but deplorable. They knew their scheme was sordid or they wouldn't have gotten their father drunk to go along with it. They may have been virgins in body, but they were debauched in mind. And yet, you have to admit, it would be hard to respect a man who in a moment of crisis was willing to peddle your purity. It would be hard to respect a man who said, take my daughters and do whatever you want, but leave my guest alone. 
You see, the problem was no longer Lot in Sodom. The problem was Sodom and Lot. Lot got Sodom. But Sodom got Lot. And his sad story has a strong word to believers of every age. Again, listen to Jesus. Because this story was important to him and to the Hebrew people. Luke 17 again. He talks about his own return. He said it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. You see, I, I don't agree with the many people who interpret the New Testament to say that we're all going to figure out exactly when Jesus is coming back. Jesus said, no, people are going to be planning weddings. They're going to be building houses. They're going to be tearing them down. They're going to be Buying things and selling things. And then I'm coming back. And when Jesus comes back, does it really matter if you bought or sold or built more than anybody else in town? Because when Jesus comes back, you're not going to say, where's my house and where's my money? You're going to say, did I own a tent and an altar? Have I walked like Abraham? So, let me close with a couple of really important thoughts. Here's the first. A carnal believer loses a lot. Lot lost his peace of mind. He lost his witness. He lost his family. And he lost all that stuff he had spent his life trying to accumulate. This is the tragic destiny of the carnal Christian. You see, you've heard me say before there's two kinds of people in the world. There's saints and there's ain'ts. But there's two kinds of saints, the Bible says. And one of them is the carnal saint. See, Paul says Jesus is the foundation. And we're all, as believers, building our lives on Jesus. And when Jesus comes back and the fire comes down, we're going to find out if we built our life well or not. In fact, let's just look at what he said in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. The foundation that's already been laid is Jesus Christ, and no one can lay down any other foundation. But if people build that foundation using gold, Silver, jewels, wood, grass, or straw, their work will be clearly seen. Because the day of judgment will make it visible. The day will appear with fire and the fire will test everyone's work to show what sort of work it was. If the building that isn't put on the foundation still stands, the builder will get a reward. But if the building is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved. But it will be as one who escaped from a fire. The Bible says there's rewards in heaven. Those who have lived life well will be rewarded for doing so. But there will be some saints who will not be able to look back on their life and say that there was anything they did with it that lasted. They will escape as one 
coming through the flames. Now, nobody, to my knowledge, suddenly becomes carnal. Nobody just wakes up and says one day, I'm going to invest today in total carnality. The Bible says we're like sheep that have gone astray. You know how a sheep goes astray. They don't just intentionally bolt from the flock. They nibble their way to lostness. They see a tuft of grass over here and they don't pay attention. They just nibble on it. Then they see something out of the corner and they go nibble on that. And they never lift their head. They just nibble and nibble and nibble until the next thing you know, they're away from the shepherd. And that's what happened to Lot. He just got farther and farther and farther away from his calling. I know the Bible calls him a righteous man. He was righteous in position because that's what faith does. But he wasn't righteous in practice. There's a reason his name does not appear in Hebrews 11. There's a reason in the rest of the Old and New Testament you don't find anybody naming their son Lot. Because the carnal believer loses a lot. Now, for years, if I taught this story, that's where I'd stop. That was the message of Genesis 19. Don't be a carnal believer. The price is too high. But this week, as I pondered and prayed over this text, something came to me. And the more it came to me, the more astounded I was by it and more amazed. And you think maybe that's not a new thought to you. But here's it is to me. And here's what I want to close with. This is just stunning to me. A faithful redeemer saves a lot. I think this story teaches more than just a certainty of judgment and the tragedy of compromise. It illustrates the mystery of grace. I have bashed on Lot now for 20 minutes. But now I've got to say, we're going to meet him in heaven. We're going to meet Lot in heaven. What does this say about God and His grace? I never cease to be amazed at the value God places on every soul. He even saves a lot. Years ago, there's a true story. This guy in New York City gets kidnapped. And the kidnappers won $100,000 and they call his wife. She negotiates and talks him down to 30000 now, it has a happy ending because the, uh, the husband was returned, the men were caught, the money was recovered. But I'm thinking if I'm the husband, you got me on a discount? I, I could just hear my wife saying, you want $100,000 for him? He's lived over half of his lifetime, his hair's turning gray. He's sore all the time, wanting me to rub his back. 30000 is my top offer. <laughs> See, I'd want her to say, there's no price too high. You can't ask too much for him. And that's how God looks at us. If there was ever anybody in the Bible deserving a discount, it's Lot. But God saves a lot. He thought we were all worth the ultimate price. And by the way, you're going to be saved the same way Lot was. By the grace of God. 
Look again at the verse we read over quickly a moment ago. And make sure you underline it. Lot delayed. So the two men took the hands of Lot, his wife, and two daughters, and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. Just how amazing is the grasp of God's grace? Well, let me put it this way. He even got Lot. We have a lot to praise him for, don't we? We're going to sing a song about our wonderful Savior. As we sing this song, perhaps tonight you are ready to ask Jesus Christ to save you. Just come, be baptized this evening while we stand and sing.